Hello, everybody. Well, here we are again on our True Business Stories podcast. Uh, very much looking forward today, Mark, to interviewing Fergal Coleman. Fergal owns a company or is a director and, part, and founder of a company called Symph- Symphony 3. That was a bit of a mouthful for me. Uh, I've known Fergal for quite a while and he and I have, uh, were fairly active in the Irish Australian Chamber of Commerce. In fact, Fergal was the chair of the board when I was involved with that and uh, working together we were able to set up some uh, two, two amazing programs for the Irish Australian Chamber and one was a national mentoring program for young Irish expats who uh, had escaped Ireland during the the downturn about 10 or 15 years ago and uh, came out to Australia as backpackers and most of them were graduates and they got good jobs but many of them stayed in Australia. So welcome Fergal. Hi Mark, how are you? How are you Bill? Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me lads. No, it's a pleasure and uh, we enjoy meeting lots of different people through our, uh, our little podcast and I'm yep. really looking forward to this. I stalked you on LinkedIn. Oh, very good, you, yeah, as, as, we do. as we do. And I see you responded. So yeah. Um, how did an Irishman get to Australia is probably the question. Yeah, um, look, like a lot of, of, of Irish people, I think I came out for a year um, to see how I'd get on. And actually, I'm 20 years here this, this year. Um, so came out. My wife's a, a Kiwi. I'd met her in Dublin. She was coming back to do some work in, uh, in Melbourne where she had a job lined up. And I said I'd come down for a year and see how I got on. And 20 years later, I've got a business and a family and uh, you know, I guess roots here now and, and some good friends here. Fantastic. So, what what were you doing in Ireland? What was your go back? Where were you born? What what happened? Uh, born in go? Dublin. Uh, so, born in uh, the foothills of the Dublin mountains. Um, to uh, my, my dad is an engineer. My mother's a teacher. Um, and uh, like, look, Dublin's a great place to to to, to grow up. Um, we probably didn't have as much money. Back then, as as people these days days do, but um, you know, fortunate to get a really good education. Uh, went to university. We'll probably get into the sport. Played a lot of sport in, in in my early days, so got a scholarship to go to university. Played a semi professional football national national league level in Ireland, um, and pretty early on went out working for myself. And have learned a few lessons along the way with, you know, successes and failures, I suppose. And um, the current iteration is Symphony 3, which we've grown over the last 10 years from two of us that started to the business. There's about 10 of us in the business now. So Good. So let's going going back to Ireland. Um, I guess when I first got in, involved with you and with the Irish community, um, it was pretty poor times in Ireland economically. Uh, and a lot of uh, the young graduates had sort of come out to Australia and were doing the usual thing, the backpacking, working part-time. But quite a few of uh, of them actually stayed and started businesses. And I know that we'll have a podcast coming up soon where with a young uh, gentleman who has got a uh, civil engineering company in Newcastle and he's a typical story of what used to happen all the time mm. not so much in the last three years when travel has been restricted um, but when you were with the Irish Australian Chamber of Commerce uh, just tell us a bit about how that got started and and how it's helped businesses and I know they started some business awards mm. how has that chamber uh, w- worked with that Irish kindred network as they say yeah I mean look uh, the, the, the chamber was started 
over 25 years ago by um, Jerry Higgins of, of Higgins Paints. Um, and I think it started as a St. Patrick's Day lunch for, you know, a, a group of people around the table and, and grew from, from there. Um, around the time of the GFC, I got involved. There was probably a group of us that were in our 30s and uh, early 40s uh, that, that kind of said, right, this could get a real G up. There's a lot to be done. There's a lot of people coming out from Ireland. Uh, the other probably major change that had happened is, you know, Ireland had changed as a country from maybe when Jerry had set it up and, and, and the type of people that were coming out and that were emigrating to Australia traditionally in the past had been a lot of probably tradies and, and construction people and you still get a lot of those. You, you've met a few of them. But you're also getting a lot of um, professional services people, accountants, lawyers, uh, entrepreneurs in, in the tech businesses that were coming out. Um, and these people had lost jobs and lost businesses in Ireland and had come over here to start again. Uh, I had been uh, ben- benefited from mentoring myself over many years. Um, and I thought, well, if we're going to have a, a business network, one of the things we need to do is help young people. Um, Bill, you you were a mentor to me, so uh, I think I leaned on you fairly early doors. And look, we had Barry Core, who's, who's the CEO, was the CEO then and is still the CEO. Uh, and probably a group of five or six of us that said, right, there's an opportunity to set up a mentoring program here that'll, that can help help young people as they come to the country. And what we did is we went out and reached out to senior Irish people and senior Irish Australians and asked them to give their time to help one young person over the course of six months. And um, yeah, look, it was pretty successful. Still going today. I'm not involved in it. I think you still do a little bit of me- yes, mentoring. So yeah, I do. I yeah. you normally take on one a year. Yeah. yeah, we volunteer our time, and it's very worthwhile. I can tell you that. And just while we're talking about business owners and men- mentoring, Mark, you've been doing some mentoring here under a Victorian government scheme in our region. How important is mentoring in your mind to uh, business owners? Well, well, Fergal's touched on it. Mentoring is really, really important, and, and especially as a as a sounding board. I've, I've, I'm finding that um, there's a couple of folk that I'm working with now who've got successful businesses, but they just want someone to talk to, who's not within their business, not within their industry, doesn't know them all that well, that they can then say, "Well, what about this?" or "What about that?" and without fear or favour, you can say, "Well, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that?" You can't tell them what to do. That's definitely not what it's about mm. it's about being that sounding board and uh i i'm at the end of some of the sessions i think have i really helped them and that when they ring and say that was fantastic thank you you realize you have helped but you just haven't identified that you've helped so very important yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that's helped me is having um not just one mentor mm. they're almost like business friends to a certain degree a bill is one of them that i can think of a handful we've got a couple of advisors in our business and um you know, ultimately you make the decisions in your business, um, but it can be lonely. And I'm in a business partnership and I've learned a hell of a lot from my business partner as well. But um, just getting uh, an independent opinion on things helps you make better decisions, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Now, we did skip over and I, I just thought I wanted to head back. Your sporting prowess. Tell, tell us a bit about that in Ireland and what did you do? You, you, you mentioned football, I assume. Is it uh, Gaelic football? No, no, no soccer, actually. Soccer. Um, okay. Mind you, I played a lot of Gaelic football. So, um, 
I was educated in an all Irish speaking school, so uh, we were very Gaelic oriented. Oriented, so I played a lot of hurling and, and, and football. But soccer was probably the game I we call it football. Obviously, is the game that I really enjoyed. And I, look, I love soccer. Has been the world game. When I came out here, it was the first thing I did was join a, a football team and, and made friends. And I've still got fast friends from over you know, whatever fifty years that I've made through um, through football. Um, but I was fortunate enough, uh, there was a program in Dublin, University College Dublin, that was a, um, a scholarship program, which was the first of its kind in Ireland back in the day. They were obviously doing it in the States, uh, where promising footballers were uh, given a scholarship to get educated, um, but also play in the National League at the same time. So I, I went through that program for two or three years. We toured um we toured florida one summer uh, for two or three weeks we came out here on a tour for three weeks via singapore um i played at the world student games represented ireland at the world student games so and then played national league football for oh, best part of a decade i suppose so fantastic you know you learn a lot through sport and i guess you, you talk about the, the podcast uh sport has taught me a hell of a lot of lessons as well so, Fergal, are your kids into sport? Yeah, look, I couldn't. My, my wife's a Kiwi, so her father has passed away. He was a great man, but he got my son into cricket very early doors. Um, I never played cricket. It wasn't played in my part of the world, really, growing up. Uh, so my, I've got a, my son's a promising cricketer. Uh, and plays a bit of basketball and footy. Uh, and my daughter's a promising netball player, and um, she does gymnastics as well, so... Right. So the cycle goes. So when you graduated out of Dublin, what were your steps from there to when you got to Australia? Uh, I like to think I've taken the scenic route, Bill, in life. <laughs> um, so I, uh, when I graduated, I um, I went down and spent a time in the west west coast of Ireland in a, in a city called Galway, which is a wonderful place if you've if you've ever had the chance to to go, um, and played. Played soccer down there while also working in a in an IT company. So that was my first, um, I guess, exposure to IT. The internet was just coming on on song then, and uh, people were trying to figure out what it was all about. Um, so I worked there for a year, and then went back to Dublin to play football on the on the east coast of Ireland. And I had a friend who was selling computer components. Um, in a traditional manner, and we said, "Oh, let's try and sell these online." And we we set up a business and off we went and did that for about three or four years, raised a little bit of money. That was in the late 90s. So, you know, things like getting payment payment facilities back in the day, couldn't get them in Ireland. So we had to go to France to get a payment facility. The security in those days was awful. You know, it was the Wild West, essentially. But we sold stuff online. We raised a bit of money. Uh, come 2001, we'd blown all that money. And uh, learned some harsh lessons. Probably the first of the harsh lessons that I learned running a, running a business. We had to close the business down. Uh, so then I went traveling for a year. Just got out. Ended up in South Korea teaching English to to students and, and business people. Um, and then came down here and started up again. And, and was kind of doing a lot of consulting on my own. Uh, and then went into partnership with my current business partner eventually. So what's your current business? Current business is a business called Symphony 3. And, and the name? Where's the name come Sym- from? Uh, well, Symphony is obviously a music analogy. Um, 
the three is Web 3.0, which was you know a buzz term, I guess, when we were, were starting out. But the symphony analogy is about making all your systems and your people and your technology work together, which is the challenge that uh, every small business has today. It doesn't really matter where we, we go. We, we play in the, in the mid-market sector. So, um, you know, businesses that are 20, 20 million to 200 million turnover generally tend to be B2B businesses. And then we do some government work as well. And every single one of those businesses have got systems with data sitting in them that don't speak to each other. So they find it really challenging to get uh, put, yeah, get the information they need to drive better business decisions and, and, and improve their business. So without naming names, what's the worst case you've come across in terms of where you've helped at? Um, oh, I mean, I think everybody thinks... Uh, Every business thinks everybody else is doing it better or their competitors are doing it, doing it better. Um, I think every business you go into, you know, most of these businesses have been around for a long time. They've been around for 10 or 20 years. They're doing something, right? And I know because it's hard to run a business. Um, but, the, you know, they'll be running some parts of the business well. And they might have an ERP. So everybody buys an ERP. They sink a lot of money into an ERP. And I think that's going to solve all their problems. But actually, they've also got a lot of their important business information is also not sitting in the ERP. So it might be sitting in a CRM system uh, or it might be sitting in um, in SharePoint or someplace uh, or it's sitting out in the cloud somewhere. And they can't connect up that information very easily. So they spend a lot of time uh, trying to get the data out of systems, trying to clean up the data and then trying to present it to, to the business leaders to make decisions. What we do, we talk about being the smart glue for businesses. So we help them connect up all their systems and connect their data and then connect their people to, to, to the information to make better decisions. So with, with data is obviously very topical mm. in the world at the moment with cyber security and all the other issues. Yep. What, what, what have you seen change? What are some of the learnings over the last few years that you think businesses need to be thinking about in terms of their data and protecting their data? Oh, you know, it's 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 an ongoing it's an ongoing thing. You just I don't know that it's changed, but the the, the big change is that most stuff's out in the cloud now. Um, I think people need to have policies in place because often it's just not simple things like changing passwords. Um, they need just need to be mindful of it, and they need to be thinking security first all the time. Probably the major thing we see, and as I said, we're playing in the B two B space and the the government space so they tend to be behind the retail space the b2c space uh is a real real realization now of how important customer experience is in 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 a in a digital sense and understanding that customers are actually the first place they're going is the mobile phone to speak to them and they expect the service to be as good from you know the 20 million dollar business as the bank down the road and that's the challenge that businesses have because yep. uh, they don't have the same budgets. Okay, just following on from that theme, at the moment I'm doing judging for the Drong Business Awards and one of my key questions is how can you guarantee that your systems are safe and what policies do you have in regarding cyber security? The, generally the, the one basic answer I get to that is, oh, yeah, we're safe, it's all in the cloud. Well, I know that's not the right answer. So what are your thoughts about cyber security for business owners? 
look, we're not a cyber security business, yeah. so I don't want to be giving out. I don't want to necessarily be giving out advice. We work with cyber security um, organisations. Um, it should be on the agenda of, of the board at all times. Yeah. Number one, policies and procedures are really important. So how you set up passwords. So it's a lot of it's simple stuff. We've just become a partner, uh, a network partner with the Australian Cyber Security Centre who give out a lot of information. You know, they, they ran a session last week on ransomware, for example. And a lot of it is common sense, you know, in terms of what you do. Change your passwords. When people leave the business, take them off your systems. Uh, make them change the passwords every, um, you know, every six months or have a policy the passwords get changed. Um, and then, you know, do your due diligence on your, on your cloud providers. Look at what they, what they do with their data. Look at where they store their da- data, that kind of stuff. It's really, really important. I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, no. It's about an awareness and a lot of – and we deal in the area of small to medium enterprises and family companies. And that's where I find they don't always have the best robust systems and processes in place. And they're the first ones to – Give me the answer I expressed before. Well, well, it's, we're safe. It's in the clouds, but it uh, there are so many examples of people who, uh, I guess, business owners who don't understand how important it is. First of all, to to have these, but more important, I think it's important to get the experts in, and yeah, and listen to the experts and engage the experts. Yeah. to set it up properly. Yeah, and look, it depends on the size of the business. So a couple of other things that uh, j- jumped to mind. Um, you know, audit your systems every so often if you've got the money. So we, our systems, we do a lot of you know, corporate websites and customer portals where we're integrating into core systems. So they're getting penetration tested by cybersecurity companies or the big four all the time, and we welcome it. The more times our systems are, are tested, uh, the, the better from our point of view. I've talked about procedures, a bit of training. So there are companies out there that do cybersecurity training. Pay your staff, and, or, you know, pay the money and get your staff trained. Multi-factor authentication on systems. Put multi, where you can, use multi-factor authentication. And it's, it's, it's interesting, Bill. Um, I think the weakest link are the people. Yeah, and then and that's where it all stems from because you can put a policy in place that says change your password once a month. Yeah, and people go, yeah, I'll use the same password. Nobody will know. And I remember working for a, a council at one stage, and every month it popped up, change your password, and used to curse that you had to change your password, and it remembered your last password, so you had to have a new password. Yeah, and it had to be complex. It couldn't be password exclamation mark. It had to be. <laughs> A bit more than that. And I think the other thing is um, if people want to hack your systems, you know, if they can hack Microsoft, they can probably hack your business. So, you know, have a backup plan. Yeah. Have your data backed up, your, your core business ready to go elsewhere if you really, if you really need to. Uh, another uh, really important issue at the moment, and it's, a, it's probably one of the hottest topics going around, is uh, the availability of employees. Now... How do you handle the development work in your business? And do you find that there is a, a shortage in your industry of available uh, technical experts? Uh, yep. Um, we're in the tech business, so very hard to get people. We, we have a hybrid model, so we've got some people here and some people offshore. Um, 
I think we've improved. So one of the advisors that's come into our business, Trevor, has been a great help to us. He's got it from a HR background. Um, we hired some people last year uh, and went through a much more rigorous process than we, we've gone through before, and it made a massive difference. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, we were looking for developers. We put the spec together first in terms of the position description, and then we said we're just going to go out we're going to put it up. We, we use a system called Drupal. We're going to advertise on the Drupal Worldwide uh, website. And we don't care where people are from, but we're just going to see what turns up. And we've got two, we, we picked up two gun developers, uh, full stack developers from that process. One's based in Poland um, and the other's based in Ethiopia. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that comes with its own challenges. Trying to trying to uh, you know get a cohesive team running. We have a, a a weekly Monday night meeting at the moment, with the, that works pretty well with the time zones. That of course will change again shortly. Um, but trying to make those people part of the team and bring them into the team takes a bit more work, I think. Um, but going through, we went through the right process. What we picked up, these guys were, you know, they're probably 40 odd. They've got 10, 12 years experience. They're self-starters. So we were able to, um, pick those guys up at a rate we probably wouldn't get here for sure. Mm -hmm. And they're as good as what we would get in Australia. So I think you've got to think outside the box, number one, because we cannot compete with, the Deloitte's or, you know, the KPMG's, if they want to take our people and offer them a lot of money, they will. Probably yeah. the, other, the other point there is we treat our, our, our employees like family. So we, uh, you know, we're flexible with them. We've got a lot of over, we've got quite a I'm a guy from Ireland. We've got mentioned the Poles, the Ethiopians, we've got Indians, we've got an Iranian lady, um, some who are here. So uh, Philip, who's from Kerala, will go home for December to see his family and he'll work either side of his holidays from there. Have you ever had them all together? uh, Not this particular group, but we're planning on that hopefully later in the year um, just to get them all over here. Fantastic. Uh, And and look, I think probably the other thing that's really important is that uh, um, for the two guys that are overseas at the moment, there's a lot of kudos for them, believe it or not, telling their friends oh, i'm working for a company down in, in melbourne australia you know there's an excitement around that that and we have a bit of fun you know we, we, we were doing we were talking to um one of the council at broken hill council a while ago and we were just explaining to the guys where broken hill was and you know that we might get them up there and showing them the outback and we shouldn't take this stuff for granted so we should play on the australian yep. cu- uh, culture and, and they're really quite excited that, with the opportunity to come out here that's fantastic that's that's showing you've got a nibble business that you're thinking outside the box to yeah and i think you have to yep. um uh, you know the the um the it sector in particular in terms of wages and with, with inflation and the current economy i think all of our employees looked for a, a wage rise um at the end of the financial year. All right, Fergal, I think it might be time to uh, to wind up this interesting conversation. I know we could t- talk for a few hours. We could tell, well, you and I could tell a few stories behind the scenes. Yeah, correct. Um, but it's been fantastic uh, for you, or for us, probably more for you. Uh, and thanks for coming to our little podcast studio today. Uh, and we wish you well and your company well. 
and I'm sure that we uh, next time we interview you, there'll be some more stories behind behind the background and the success. Well, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, yeah, best of luck with the podcast. Great idea.